Welcome to Buy the Books, the podcast helping business owners navigate the complex world of business, tax, and bookkeeping. Now, to the owner and president of Secline, Lindsay Klein. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for joining us today. This is Lindsay Klein, the host of Buy the Books and owner of Secline. And I am here today with Steve Hannabut from Claris Partners who is a CPA that's been practicing for 25 years, 10 of that in public accounting, and 15 of that dealing specifically with sales tax. Absolutely. Which is a very unique niche. And I'm so glad you have joined us today. That's my pleasure, Lindsay. Um, I first met Steve maybe about two months ago, and I remember our first conversation together. I learned so much. (laughs) You are a wealth of knowledge, so I'm thrilled that you're joining us today. So this topic of sales tax, it's a difficult one because every state has different laws in regards to sales tax. So Steve, you specifically specialize in Texas, correct? I do. I do. I, I specialize in Texas, but uh, my firm is actually a national firm, Claris Partners. We have, we have offices across the U.S., and we, we cover basically anything that touches sales tax. So there are 50 states. Uh, out of those 50 states, 45 of them have a sales tax law. So uh, we, we, we cover everything that has to do with it. That's awesome. Okay, so we're today going to specifically cover what's going on here in Texas mm-hmm. with sales tax. But a lot of this, if I'm not mistaken, would apply to just about any state. Would that be a correct assertion with with some nuances absolutely okay. with with some wrinkles there yeah that that's going to be the case because generally speaking sales tax on a fundamental basis is fairly consistent the thing you got to make sure that you understand are those different little provisions that may apply here and won't won't apply there right okay so you have if i'm not mistaken you have helped a lot of business owners who are going through sales tax audits correct absolutely absolutely so that would be a good area for us to focus on. Let's say a business owner gets that dreaded letter from the Texas comptroller and it says you are up for an audit. (laughs) So where does a business owner start from that moment? (laughs) Well, you know, I'd say that I'd say that one of the really critical things uh, is if you're a, if you're a particularly if you're a retailer and you sell at both retail and wholesale and this is this is very important is if you sell taxable goods or services and you have any transactions where you did not charge sales tax you need to make sure that you have the proper documentation I like to tell people it, this is a this is a bifurcated proposition if I sell you a widget and a widget is typically subject to sales tax and you say don't charge me sales tax then essentially when I, when I, let's put it this way, when I sell that widget to you, I've got two different options. Number one, I charge you sales tax. Number two, I obtain documentation as to why I didn't charge you sales tax. And you'd be amazed how many times, you know, I go through this process where somebody comes under an audit and they're saying, well, I'm not worried about this because, you know, uh, the guy told me he was buying it for resale or the guy told me that he was buying it for the benefit of a church. Well, guess what? When the auditor knocks on you, your door, the guy told me is not an acceptable reason to get you out of an audit liability. So I, I tell I tell my clients whenever they whenever they first hear that they're coming under a sales tax audit, go back and look at all of your non-taxed sales. 
Okay, not your non-taxable sales, but your non-taxed. In other words, if it would otherwise be a typically a taxable sale, but you didn't charge sales tax, make sure you've got documentation. And by the way, in most states, that's going to be an exemption certificate. In Texas, we got to do things a little differently. So in Texas, <laughs> we have two different, well, we have, I think, four different forms. Uh, but the two big ones are going to be exemption certificates and resale certificates. An exemption certificate would be, let's say that you are an exempt entity. Let's say you're selling to an exempt entity. So I'm going to sell my widgets to a church or a hospital or a school. Well, that they need to go ahead and fill out that exemption certificate and provide that to me. Or let's say that maybe the buyer is not an exempt entity, but maybe they're using what I am selling in an exempt way, in an exempt fashion. In other words, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say that, uh, let's say that a business, let's say I'm selling a saw to someone. Okay. Well, saw, a saw is tangible personal property. That's our fancy term for a good is tangible personal property. Well, tangible personal property, the default rule is that's going to be subject to sales tax. So I'm going to charge them sales tax, right? Mm-hmm. However, what happens if the entity that I'm selling that saw to is a furniture manufacturer? Well, a furniture manufacturer is going to use that machinery and equipment to make the property that they are reselling. And in Texas, we have what's known as a very generous manufacturing exemption. It allows us, it allows sell, it allows buyers to purchase goods and services that are going into a product to be manufactured and then resold to a third party. It allows them to make those purchases tax-free. Now, I actually had this situation, um, I'm I'm very familiar with that particular aspect Mm -hmm. of the law simply because when I was a teenager, my aunt, who was a CPA, hired me to help them with a sales tax audit, and she worked for a furniture company, Mm -hmm. and they wholesaled furniture to retailers. Okay. So pretty much all of their sales were tax exempt because of that resale exemption. Right, right. However, they had failed to keep on file those exemption certificates for those sales. So I'm sure it was a red flag when they were filing their reports showing they had this large amount of tax-exempt sales, which is probably what triggered the audit. It could have been, very well. Um, So my job at 16 years old, they hired me to contact companies to try to get those exemption certificates years later in some cases. Sometimes they were not in business anymore, not reachable, either when they answered their phone, might have said they would give the certificate to me, but then never did. So it was quite the uh, <laughs> the, the hunt Exercise. to yeah, try I get to that. get those certificates. So this is why I tell my clients, my bookkeeping clients, it is so much easier to get that at the beginning Absolutely. of the transaction Absolutely. than it is to get it when you get that letter that you're under audit yep. and those customers may not even be in business anymore at that point. And you bring up a really great point is that there's there's nothing wrong with getting the exemption certificate, the resale certificate, the direct pay certificate, uh, the Makila Dora exemption, the Ag Timber uh, certificate. There's nothing inherently wrong with getting those late. The, in an audit, you can get those a number of years later if you can get those. Right, exactly. <laughs> but taxpayers move. Yes. They go out of business. And let's, let's face it, unfortunately, sometimes, let's say, relationships tarnish. 
And sometimes the tax, the, the buyer that would have gladly handed over you documentation uh, three years ago when they first bought it, maybe there was some kind of schism there in mm-hmm. between the buyer and seller. And then you go back to them three years later. Oh, I need you to get this sign t- to sign this form for me. No, no, I don't like you anymore. Well, and I will say this too, that they may not have a lot of incentive to give that form because if I'm not mistaken, the form states that the liability for that sales tax goes to them. And so if they weren't truly exempt, they could be liable for that that tax. That that, that absolutely happens. You know, typically think about it this way. When someone puts a legal form in front of you and asks you to sign it, Typically, most people do not reach for their pins. Right. (laughs) Most of the time, they're like, "Eh, you know what? Let me take a look at this before. They're they're a little reticent to do that. So the best time to get that is when they have a reason to, which is to not pay that sales tax. Absolutely. So if you give them an invoice that has the sales tax and state, I will remove that sales tax when I get your certificate, that is the best time to get it from someone because they have an incentive at that point. Yeah, and, and I know a lot of businesses that will put on the bottom of their invoices as part of the invoice. If this if this purchase is exempt from sales tax, just provide us with a certificate. Correct, exactly. So that's my recommendation to all of my bookkeeping mm-hmm. clients. Keep that sales tax on your invoice until you get a physical certificate. Right, right. Now I had a client ask me actually just last night this question, what mm-hmm. they've been doing, they sell to a lot of schools And she has been getting from the schools their sales tax number, but not an actual certificate. Is that okay? Or do they need to get the actual certificate? Worthless. 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 That is is worthless. Yeah. Okay. That's you you need to see the the point is, is that getting a sales tax, uh, a a sales tax number, a permit number that all the, all that does is tell you, tell the, 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 the seller that the buyer happens to be reselling some items or happens to sell some goods or services at retail that are, that are subject to sales tax. But in order to claim the exemption, you have to claim the exemption. In other words, there has to be a positive affirmation. I am claiming this exemption because I am using this in my school, or I am reselling this, or I am, I am using this in the manufacturing process. And just giving you, just giving a, a, a seller a, uh, a sales tax permit number is not making that positive affirmation. Right. Okay. That's, that's good to know. And I thought that was yeah. the case, but I, I, I to run ask into the that. Expert. I run into that all the time. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. So, what else should a business owner do to prepare and protect themselves in the inv- in the event of an audit? Uh, well, outside of you know hiring me, <laughs> outside, outside of that, you know, a, a number of things. One thing that I would always suggest is is get your federal income tax returns in order. Uh, because that's that's just standard operating procedure. They're always the auditor is always going to want to take a look at those. Interesting. Oh, your yeah. federal income tax. Absolutely. Now, why would a sales tax auditor that's with the state mm-hmm. be interested in your federal income tax returns? Here's the deal: is they are looking at those just really kind of for reasonableness. In other words, if you if you um, uh, reported ten million dollars in taxable sales on your Texas sales tax return or or whatever state sales tax return. They want to go back and look at your federal income tax return and say that see that that same amount is on your federal income tax return. And you know what? As long as it's somewhat close, it's typically not a big deal. It's not like those have to tie out to the dollar or the penny or anything. The issue is when you've got a taxpayer who has, says, I reported 
$10 million in sales on my sales tax returns, and I reported $50 million in sales on my federal income tax return. And even then, that's not the end of the world. But at that point, that's when the auditor says, okay, let's reconcile this. Mm. Why, why, is the, why is the delta there? Why is this, this discrepancy out there? All right. So you and I have had some mutual clients that have often been in the same predicament that they have been in business for a while. They may or may not have been collecting sales tax mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. should have been, but have never set up their sales tax permit and their account with the state to remit the sales tax. Right. So what recommendation do you have for people that are in this position? Uh, you know, that- Honestly, the, the thing that I would suggest right off the bat is, is start yesterday and start collecting the sales tax. Because if you collect sales tax from your purchasers, from your buyers, at least the money is out there and the money doesn't come out of your pocket. I, I like to tell people the worst thing in the world is not paying taxes. The worst thing in the world is paying someone else's taxes. Mm. A- and that is what happens in these situations. I have... I, I tell you, I've got one client right now. By the way, this is kind of this is. I'm glad you asked that because this is kind of my home run story. I got a client right now that they came to us with a Texas sales tax audit. The liability was 1.1 million dollars, and that 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 was going to be a haircut. Wow. That was going to be a real haircut. Uh, as a result of of our services, uh, we knocked that down to five figures. In other words, it was seven figures. We knocked it down to five figures, saved them over a million dollars. Um, and, and that's great. That's a nice home run story for Texas. The issue is, is that they are actually have Nexus, which Nexus is just a $5 word that means connection. It just means you have a certain connection to the state. See, a state can only force you to collect and remit sales tax if you have an appropriate connection level with them. Okay. So this particular taxpayer had a connection with, I believe, 41 other states. Oh, wow. So, so to be clear about that, they're filing and paying in Texas and they're collecting and remitting sales tax in Texas, but there are 41 other states that they, that they should have been filing in that they oh. are not. And, and there's a substantial liability out there. But what I tell, what I, what, what I told my client and what I'll tell you and our listeners today is that as much of a haircut as that may be, it's only going to get worse tomorrow mm. and the day after that and the day after that. And in large part, this is a good opportunity for me to mention Wayfair to you. Um, and I'm sure a number of the listeners are familiar with, with Wayfair. The Wayfair decision happened literally three years ago, like almost to the moment. It was it was June of uh, 2018. We're sitting here now, June of 2021. Three years ago, the Supreme Court uh, uh, decided the Wayfair decision. And essentially what that meant was prior to Wayfair, um, a business had to have a physical connection with a state for the state to compel them to collect and remit sales tax. So if you had an office or an employee, a building in a state, then they said, okay, you have to collect and remit sales tax. Well, Wayfair changed the entire landscape. And after Wayfair, now there is what's known as economic nexus, which economic nexus just means dollars, right? Mm. So before this, if you had a business and I was, let's say I've got a business and I'm selling $5 million into New York and $8 million into California. I don't care because I'm based in Texas and I don't have salespeople in these, in these other States. I don't have offices in these other States. 
Well, all of a sudden after Wayfair now, I have a responsibility to collect and remit sales tax in New York, in California, in all these other states. Well, that's what we're running into right now. That, that's a good example, like for instance, with this taxpayer I'm talking about right now. They have a liability in these other 41 states. But again, as bad as that liability is, it's going up every single day because they continue to sell in these additional states. So I would assume that this mostly comes up with people that sell online. So, uh, you know, you'd be surprised for one thing, you know, like the, the, because of the facilitator laws, a lot of this is handled by facilitators. There's what's known as marketplace facilitators. Um, and they are, they are required, actually there are separate set of laws that they are required to collect and remit this sales tax Typically, okay. Gen, uh, the, the experience that I've had is that most of the times when this does come up, it's not necessarily the people that just sell online. It's just the, it's the people that have inside salespeople that are selling all over the nation. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if there's a business owner based here in Texas and they sell something to somebody in a different state, yep. they're required to set up a sales tax account in that state and remit sales tax to that state. Is that correct? Assuming that they have appropriate level of nexus again, and again, you got 50 states, 45 of them collect and remit, have, have sales tax laws. So you've got 45 different sets of laws and those sets of those thresholds are vary between the states. Let me give you an example, Texas and California, we are two of the largest states. So our thresholds are typically, they're going to be set pretty high in both Texas and California. Uh, we set that threshold at 500. $500,000. So it's at, at half a million dollars. So let's say that you're selling, let's say you're in Oklahoma and you're selling into Texas and you only sell $300,000 in goods. Well, Texas will not compel you to collect and remit sales tax. Okay. But let's say that you're selling into Arkansas, another border state. Well, Arkansas, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'll bet you that that threshold is much lower in Arkansas, it's it's probably a hundred grand because most of these states start their thresholds at a hundred thousand dollars. Texas and California just happen to be two bigger states, so the threshold's higher. Oh, it's also a number of transactions, so it's a combination. You might have you might have let's say that you were in uh, let's say that you were in Texas, but you only had the three hundred thousand dollars in sales. Well, maybe if you had over five hundred transactions that might put you over the limit as well. And to make things more matters more complicated, <laughs> there's a distinction oftentimes between retail sales and wholesale sales. In other words, if you if you have a responsibility to collect and remit tax versus if it was for instance a sale for resale. So is it important even for out of state sales to go ahead and get those exemption certificates if it is a retailer? or some kind yeah. of exemption. That's a great call. That's a great call. In other words, let's say you've got a taxpayer that says, I, sh you know, I ship my goods into all of these different states, but I don't want to have to mess with, with, with the compliance issues of sales tax. Well, of course I've got to tell them, well, you should be messing with that because there's a lot, there's a potential exposure out there. But at the same time, if all of their sales are wholesale sales and they would never have to collect and remit any sales tax, you know, they have the option. Well, I, I say they have the business decision uh, because they, sh again, they should be collecting or they should be filing sales tax returns, but at least they have the alternative of saying, you know what, I'm going to live with exposure, but I'm going to make sure I get all these resale certificates so that if the auditor ever does knock on my door, I have appropriate documentation. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Okay. So 
what about what is taxable versus what's not taxable? Here in Texas, if I'm not mistaken, services are non-taxable. Is that correct? Well, not not exactly, but I will mention there's I will mention one thing that'll be useful. There's a fundamental distinction between property, okay, let's say goods and services. Okay. And in the sales tax law, we wouldn't say goods and services. In sales tax law, we would say tangible personal property versus taxable services. Okay. The default rule for goods, i.e. tangible personal property, is it is subject to sales tax absent a specific exemption. Okay. okay. As an example, uh, this microphone is tangible personal property. This it would this would be taxable absent a specific exemption. Now, let's say that you were selling this to a, an AV store that was going to resell it. Well, obviously, the resell the resell exemption would apply. That's the default rule for tangible personal property. Services are the exact opposite. Services are exempt ex, uh, ex, exempt from tax, technically excluded from tax unless they are specifically enumerated in state statute. And there are, I believe, 17 taxable services here in Texas, and that varies throughout the other the additional states as well. Let me give you an example. Uh, even though uh, a haircut may be non-taxable because it's simply excluded from sales tax, um, telecommunication services. I, I don't know that there's a state out there that when you buy your cell phone, that get, when you get cellular service, because uh, does anybody have a landline anymore? <laughs> no, not that I know of. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, telecommunications are pretty much across the board going to be subject to sales tax. Cable television services, same thing. It's one of those things that that is a that is a huge revenue producer because, frankly, most consumers have that. Therefore, states are going to say we're going to we're going to subject this to sales tax. Some of the some of the more uh, esoteric issues that come up in, in Texas sales taxes are debt collection services. A lot of people are not familiar and that doesn't crop up that much, but debt collection services are a tax is a taxable service in Texas. The one that I think that probably surprises the most number of people uh, and frankly people under an audit is is data processing services. Well that that encompasses a, a pretty wide umbrella, but the one thing that, that, that surprises a lot of people are, Web, website modification design and hosting. Okay, mm. so yeah, so if you pay someone to create a, ho- a website for you or host a website for you or modify the website after it's created, those are all taxable data processing services. Oh, that's services. interesting. Yeah, this slips okay. through the cracks a lot. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Now in my arena with my bookkeeping business, um, my understanding is that if I process payroll for someone Bingo. and I charge yeah. for payroll, then that's taxable, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and interestingly, you know, the, 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 the state says, the law says that uh, if, it, if this is a very, very high-level technical service, then it's considered to be a non-taxable consulting service, like, for instance, the, the preparation of, of income tax returns. However, the statute determines that payroll sets... And I and I don't know that I'd agree with this, but the the statute says that the computer is doing most of the work. Oh wow! So since That's they, I know. So so they say <laughs> since the computer is doing most of the work, they consider that to be a taxable data processing charge. And I have I have I've had plenty of people argue with me about that and say that shouldn't be the case. And I say, I get it, but in practice. You know, that, that's the way, that's what's going to happen when you come under an audit. So let's say you have a financial professional such yeah. as myself that will offer payroll services. Uh-huh. Now, let's say that service is encompassed into a monthly flat fee okay. 
that that client pays for a lot of different services. Does that change anything? Yeah, good question. Uh, it, 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 it perhaps could, it probably does. In Texas, we have what's known as the 5% rule, okay, 5%. So if you bundle both taxable and non-taxable services, if the component of the, uh, of the taxable services are, are 5% or greater, then that allows the state to come in and say, you know what, we think we're going to take the position that all that you do is subject to tax, which of course is the worst possible world. The last thing you want to do is provide payroll for somebody. It's only maybe 10% of what you do. And then the, an auditor says, well, I'm going to ding you on the entire amount of the invoice. Mm. Now that now that argument can be made on the other side, though, with some kind of documentary evidence. You can say, well, no, it's really not 100%. Maybe it's 10%. Maybe it's 8%. The safest thing to do, to be perfectly frank, is to carve out any taxable services and charge sales tax on them separately so that you say, instead of charging you $1,000 a month, we're going to charge you $900 a month for bookkeeping and consultation services and $100 a month for payroll. Mm. We're going to charge you sales tax on that payroll, which, by the way, as a data processing charge, gets a 20% exemption right off the bat. So instead of charging it at the full amount, you charge it at 80%. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. And that would be this case for a website designer as well? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I also had thought about, I know in Oklahoma, they have an exemption for disabled veterans. I'm not sure if that's true here in Texas, but I do know there's a card that um, Oklahoma will issue for veterans to be exempt from all sales tax. So let's say you had a situation like that, but you're in a different state. Um, would the business owner just need to get a copy of that exemption card for a, hmm. a taxable sale where they're selling to a disabled vet or some other special situation like that? Yeah, I think that the challenge, honestly, Lindsay, I think the challenge on that would be and I hate to say this, but I think you'd have to go to your home state just really to make sure. To be perfectly frank, I'm not familiar with that exemption. But off the top of my head, I would probably say if someone in Oklahoma was trying to make a Texas purchase claiming an exemption that only applies to Oklahoma, I don't believe that Texas would honor that. I oh, think that they would probably go ahead and charge sales tax. So the option would be, and unfortunately, you know, I wish I had a better answer, but I think that the only option would be make that purchase in Oklahoma so you can claim an oh, Oklahoma exemption. That's interesting. Yeah. So that raises a good question then because some states have these special exemptions that may not apply in other states. Absolutely. That happens. Hmm. It happens. And you were mentioned earlier that Texas had a very broad manufacturing uh -huh. exemption. So that may not be the case then if a manufacturer were to purchase from out of state, their exemption may not apply then. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a great call. And, and that leads me into... Uh, a very a critical distinction here is people are uh, people always think about sales tax, but you probably are familiar with at least the term sales and use tax. Mm -hmm. Well, use tax is a complementary tax to sales tax. Okay, so let's just think about this, it, and it makes sense if you think things through. Sales tax is when is when an item is sold. Use tax is when an item is. Used. Yeah, exactly. So in other words, if I, I'm here in Texas, let's say that I order something from somebody in Houston and they ship it to me. Well, the buyers in, in Texas, the, the sellers in Houston, so they should, the seller should know that and charge me Texas sales tax. But let's say that I, I order for some, from somebody in Oklahoma and they ship it down to me in Texas. And let's say that this Oklahoma seller does not have nexus, does not have a connection to the state of Texas, whereby they are but whereby they are uh, required to collect and remit the sales tax. 
Well, in a situation like that, I literally am responsible for paying that use tax. Now, let's be honest. Okay, this falls through the cracks a lot, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. A lot of times. You know when it doesn't fall through the cracks? It's when the auditor comes and knocks on that door. Yeah. And, say, and that, that's something that they know to look for is did you purchase things out of state? Did you purchase taxable items where sales tax should have been charged, but they were not? And that's when use tax is going to apply. And I have had this conversation with taxpayers left and right, but the seller didn't charge me sales tax when I bought it. So that's on him. And I, and I just kind of shake my head and I say, you know, I understand the, the position you're trying to make here, but here's the deal is that's not what the statute says. Mm-hmm. The, the law says that the responsibility for the payment of taxes on the purchaser. Now, the liability is joint and several, which means that since the state writes the rules, they can go after the buyer or the seller, whomever they like. But the liability is act, the ultimate liability is actually on the purchaser, on the buyer. And I will say, as a bookkeeper, from my perspective, um, we don't have a whole lot of business owners that provide us with invoices and receipts. But this would be one good argument for doing that, providing your bookkeeper with receipts so that your bookkeeper can see whether or not sales tax was paid for those purchases. As a controller of several companies, that was always one of the things that we would do. We'd make sure we get receipts from whoever purchased it. And a lot of times, especially when I worked for a manufacturing company, a lot of times we had sales exempt accounts with our vendors Mm -hmm. but sometimes the purchases were for our own internal use so we'd have purchases for manufacturing our products but then we would buy from that same vendor things that we were using in our own office and so for those things that we were using in our own office we were required to pay use tax right exactly and so it was my job as the controller to make sure we were tracking that so that when we filed our sales tax we were including what we owed on our purchases but that can't be done if your bookkeeper your controller doesn't Doesn't have documentation absolutely Mm -hmm. you know i'm I'm so glad you brought that up that's a great call i i don't know how many times i've i've someone has approached me because they've got a problem, they, they're coming under an audit, they, the auditor has gone th- through the field work and they're looking at a $100,000, $200,000 liability. And all too many times, the taxpayer says, well, my CPA should have told me about this. My sh- CPA should have told me that the things that I was selling were subject to sales tax. A- and that's when I generally say, okay, well, what did they say when you asked them? And there's silence. <laughs> You know, and, and unfortunately, all too often businesses make the, you know, they connect dots that are not there. And mm-hmm. they say, well, you know, my, my CPA does my taxes. My CPA should have told me that I was selling taxable goods, but they never asked their CPAs. So that's, a, that's a great cause. I would suggest any business say, once every few years, reach out to your CPA and say, hey, let's take a look at sales tax because we you always do income tax for us. Let's take a look at sales tax, make sure we're doing things right. Well, I'm glad you brought this up because, correct me if I'm wrong, but most CPAs are focused on the federal level and don't really know a lot about state law in regards to sales tax. You really have a niche, and I haven't met anyone else like you that specializes just in sales tax. Typically, CPAs are very familiar with the federal laws as it relates to income tax, but maybe not so much about sales tax. Is that a fair assessment to say? Without a doubt. Yeah, as as a matter of fact, honestly, uh, I I like to tell people, 
that as 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 a CPA, when it comes to sales, I'm a really good bean counter. I, I, <laughs> I you know I, I am not the prototypical salesperson, but I have built my book of business over the last 25 years, frankly, by building relationships with other other CPAs, other EAs, uh, uh, other bookkeeping services. That's the way I build my business is not so much from knocking on doors and picking up that mm-hmm. phone. It's from people coming to me saying, you know what? My, 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 my client came to me with a sales tax issue. Steve, I don't know the first thing to do about it. Or, uh, you know, Steve, I put you on speed dial because I get two sales tax questions a year. At my firm, we simply don't have the manpower to have someone employed here that does nothing but sales tax. Right. And I say, that's fantastic. Let me be a resource for you, and I have a number of CPAs that, as soon as the as soon as the uh, as soon as the taxpayer, as soon as one of their clients calls them and, and says sales tax, they say I'm going to stop you right there, and I've got a name and a phone number for you, yes. and I love that. You know, yes. that's why I want to be a resource for them. Well, and you are a gem. Well, I was so happy to find you because um, this is a definitely a niche that there's not a lot of people that have knowledge in this area or or expertise in this area. Um, so the first thing I do when I get a client that has sales taxes, give them your information and say, you need to talk to this guy because no matter what you charge, it's cheaper than down the road when you get audited and you find out you did it wrong. Yeah, we appreciate that. It's so much easier to get it set up right the first time, even if you have a few years of history of doing it wrong. That's, no, that's true. The sooner you get it corrected, the better off you're going to be. You don't want to kick that can down the road. Right. Exactly. So you have definitely been a valuable resource for me. And I think this podcast is going to be a valuable resource for anyone that's listening to it. Great. I hope so. And there is one service you provide Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention um, that you will actually review people's sales tax returns that they've done in the past to see if you can actually get them a refund, correct? Oh, yeah. Will you talk about that? Sure, absolutely. And, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll clarify that it's typically not so much on the sales tax returns, but it's on their purchases. Um, one of the things, for instance, one of the industries that I'm in happens to be multifamily housing. There's, I won't get into the details, but there are some exemptions out there for apartment complexes, nursing homes, assisted living centers. And invariably, when I, when I mention this to someone who maybe is a, a property manager who has 20, 50, 100 properties, they always say, well, we don't pay sales tax. And I, you know, I grimace just a little bit and I smile and I say, well, actually, that's not entirely true. You see, everybody pays sales tax. Mm-hmm. In other words, other than, other than charitable organizations and the government, those are the two entities that don't. Other than those two, other than those two entities, pretty much everybody pays sales tax. What you mean to say is you don't collect and remit sales tax. And they say, oh yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, we don't collect and remit sales tax, but I guess we do pay sales tax. Exactly. And so what, what I'll do is, is we'll go in and we'll look through invoices. We'll, we'll literally, and by the way, the financials don't really help us that much. I don't care how much you paid for your sprinkler system. I don't care how much you paid on your utilities. But the, but the point is, I can still potentially get you back some refunds on those items if I look through your invoices. So I literally flip through invoices, find refunds, submit a refund claim to the state, and all I do is get a piece of the pie. It's a no-risk proposition for the taxpayer because if I don't find them money, if I don't get them back money, I don't get paid. 
It's a, it's a second set of eyes. Free so another uh, reason or motivation that the bookkeeper is going to point out is this is another reason yeah. to keep your invoices and receipts. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you've actually been able to get thousands of dollars for some people that didn't need to pay tax, but did. And you were able to get that back from the state for those people. Is uh, that correct? Uh, well, thousands with a few extra zeros on top. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, our, the savings have been in the millions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely. remarkable. Yeah, it's good. We're, we're very pleased. I'm sure. And the taxpayers are very pleased. Of course. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And if I'm not mistaken, you don't charge those business owners unless you are able to get them some sort of refund. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, it's all contingent fee work. So it's it's no risk to it's, them to, to review it and see if they can get something back. Kind of a no-brainer. I think so. So tell people how they can find you. Oh, uh, well, let's see. Okay, I can be, again, it's Steve Hannibal. I can be reached at 469-784-9604. That number again, 469-784-9604. And also, uh, you can just Google uh, clarispartners.com. Now spell that. How is Claris spelled? Claris, C-L-A-R-U-S. Claris Partners clarispartners.com. Again, we're a national firm. We've got uh, six, eight uh, offices across the U.S. Our headquarters is actually in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have an email that people can email you? You bet. That's Steve Hannibet, S-T-E-V-E-H-A-N-E-B-U-T-T at clarispartners.com. Awesome. And I am Lindsay Klein with Sakline, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. You can reach me at info at sakline.com, S-A-K-L-I-N-E.com. And until next time, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Steve. Thanks, Lindsay. My pleasure. And if you have any sales tax questions, please reach out to Steve. He is a phenomenal resource in that thank area. You. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. By the Books is presented by Sakline. Honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. For more information on Sakline services or to get a hold of Lindsay, visit sakline.com or email info at sakline.com. The information provided on this website and podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general information purposes only. Information provided by Sakline may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter and should refrain from acting on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation.